did. I did. If you'll make your way to Judges chapter 3, we're going to be there. Mac Ramsey usually does this. He usually speaks on Super Bowl Sunday night. And, uh, of course, he can't do that. He's coming back from Louisiana, had a great celebration of life. And I think uh, one of the things he told me was that having a whole week as taking care of his mom and then she passes just was a wonderful, blissful time with the family to be together. And now he's kind of ready to re-engage. But I can imagine um, the feelings he has. And, and Martha Rampey had a, a memorial service for her mother today as well. So there's lots of people who are mindful of some pretty existential things. Uh, and so be mindful of them in the coming days and, and encouraging them. We're going to look at, I'm, I'm just, basically what I'm doing is I'm taking a college class from this morning and making a lesson out of it. A uh, nice short lesson, but it's going to be uh, comedy, it's going to be gruesome, it's going to be gross and sickening. Every person, if you were junior high, you would love this. You may find it repulsive as an older person. But we just read about Othniel, the nephew of Caleb, who was the first judge. And he did a good job. He was faithful. He was one of the few actual faithful judges, right, of the book of Judges. And he dies, right? And after he dies, they all go right back to trouble. And the book of Judges is that way, is they're good for a while as long as there's some strong personality over them. But as soon as those strong personalities leave, they kind of go wandering again. And I want to say this about the church. It's very important to have strong leaders. It's very important to have the right kinds of men to lead the church. And I'm grateful at Valley View uh, for the quality men that's here, that, who are here and who are leading this. And that's what gives there's a stability and a, a sense of peace here. But in the book of Judges, after that, the people again, verse 12, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what is evil in the sight of the Lord. What we are going to be convinced of is this. God works in very mysterious ways, and there's a reason why. He has to. If he's going to use people, he's going to have to be creative. If he's going to use you, he's got to be creative. If he's going to use me to change the world, he better be um, creative and mysterious in the way he does things. And we're going to see this. So the Lord strengthened Eglon. That's interesting, isn't it? God is who was behind this foreign nation of Moab. Who is it that allowed Moab to overcome God's people? God. God is behind all that stuff, and so he's empowering his own people's enemy to overtake them, right? Which is a weird thing. It's because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Moab gets another, a couple of nations together. He gathered the Ammonites and the Amalekites, and he went and defeated Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. Now, this is your time to see whether you Sunday night people were listening or not. Joel Inman, two or three weeks ago, was doing a, uh, a report on Romania, and he did some of his... Tri not trivia, but his test questions with us. And one of them said, what city is called the City of Palms? Well, we go on. Uh, it, is the book, it is the city of Jericho. They say the oldest city in the world. I'm not sure. But anyway, the city of Palms is called that two or three times in the Old Testament. And some smart alecks here just have to be the head of the class. Anyway, so... He gathers these people together, and, and, and they, he overtakes the city of Palms, and he's ruling there in the city of Jericho. 
Eglon, his name means one of two things, either little cow or fat. Those are two words that put together make Eglon. So he's the fat cow. That's what the image of, you're supposed to have of this as you read this story. And so you have these three nations coming together. They have their king over them who is Eglon, fat cow, right? And God empowered the Moabites to defeat his own people. And there's a little bit of a problem of that. How can wicked people overtake other people and be a disciplinary source to them? But God's going to straighten things out. That's the book of Habakkuk. We'll get to some other day, right? Does God sometimes allow people who are wicked to discipline people who are less wicked? Yeah, he works in mysterious ways. I'm telling you, he does this. And so you've got to be very careful about how you judge these things. There's something about uh, this, this guy's name, but there's also uh, something about this other guy named Ehud who comes on the scene. So here's Eglon, the fat cow who's ruling over God's people for several years. And then the people of Israel cry out to the Lord. The Lord raises up a deliverer, Ehud. His name means loner. So we have the lone ranger versus the fat cow in this story. Son of Gera, a Benjaminite, a left-handed man. Okay, so does anybody remember what the name Benjamin means? Son of my right hand. If you recall, that's the, after Joseph was gone, he becomes the only other son that Jacob had with his favorite wife. This is a great story, right? His favorite wife, he had several. And he, she died giving birth to Benjamin and became son of my right hand, and yet he's actually left-handed. But if you read the Hebrew language... It means restricted as to the right hand. And the way they would train you to get left-handed is they'd take your right hand and they'd bind it. And they'd make you do everything with your left hand so they could train you to be a left-handed person. The Greek in the Septuagint says, see if you've heard this before, heterodextrous. We call it ambidextrous, which means you can use both hands. He was, he was a guy who was trained to use both hands. And the people of Benjamin, we see in two other texts in here, later on in this particular book, we see that the people of Benjamin, in chapter 20, verse 16, could with their left hand handle a sling and sling a rock at a hair and not miss. That's pretty amazing. But then it says in 1 Chronicles 12, verse 2, there's a whole bunch of Benjamin, Benjaminite soldiers who could either use a, a bow and arrow or a slingshot, and they could do it with perfect accuracy across several football fields. Now that's pretty amazing, isn't it? So here's Ehud, who has this ability. It's called a defect among the Hebrews because they don't think it's very good. They think everything's about right hand, father's right hand. That's your main, well, then you've got a whole tribe of people who train you to be left-handed. Okay, so he's left-handed. That's an interesting little detail. They would call a defect at that time. And the people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, king of Moab. So every year they pay tax to the person who's ruling over them. And there's Ehud, along with this party of people, taking this tribute to the fat cow, right? Who's Eglon. And Ehud made for himself a sword of two edges. A cubit in length, about 18 inches. He bound it in his right thigh under his clothes. Because when they do a pat-down in Moab, they only do it on the left-hand side. Right? They're, I told them this morning, when you do 
they had those special left side only uh, metal detectors. And so he, he's not going to be found out because nobody expects you to draw anything out of this side. It's always this side if you're going to do something of harm. And so he decides he's going to make a double-edged sword about a cubit in length. And he hides it. Now, the reason he has to make one is because the enemy, we find this out in the story of Deborah here in a couple chapters, we find out that all the weapons have been taken away from the enemy, by the enemy. The enemy doesn't want Israel to have any weapons. And so nobody has any weapons, and if he's going to do something, he's got to make one. And so he gets some piece of metal somewhere, and he fashions himself a short kind of a dagger, double-edged sword, puts it in his right side right here, he comes with the rest of the party, and he presents this wonderful tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Eglon was a very fat man. Interesting, we already knew that because of his name, but now the detail is shared. When Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. Go on back. But he himself turned back. They were about to leave town, and they were at the spot where all the, the, the kings, the, the uh, idols of the kingdom were. And they get there, and he says, you guys go ahead. I've got a secret message for the king. And so he comes, and he tells the people at this, this uh, residence of the king, I've got a special message. The word message means word or thing. I've got something special for you. And he commanded silence. He had everybody be quiet because he thought he had a special word from another god about how great he is and so he's silencing everybody his attendants are sent out from his presence ehud comes up to him as he was sitting alone in the cool roof chamber because sweat cools you off faster in a cool summer chamber because as a big rotund cow he needs that and ehud said again i have a message i have a thing from god for you and he arose from his seat. Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh. He thrust it into his belly, and the hilt also went in after the blade. The fat closed over the blade. He did not pull the sword out from his belly. And your King James Version says the dirt came out. What, pray tell, was that? Anybody got a King James Version? How much dirt could come out if you stabbed somebody with a sword? <laughs> you sweat dirt? Last time I thought, I've never sweat dirt before. But yeah, my, my version says the dung came out, and that's, I think that's what it's supposed to mean. You know, the, bladder, the, the blade went by the bladder, and he got the point. <laughs> Get it? He got the point. Okay, so... Sword goes in, sword stays in. He gets the point of the message. The bowels come out, and it makes a mess as his bowels and dung and all this stuff come out on the floor, and he's dying there in the, in the building, right? And as he's laying there dying, what Ehud decides to do is he's going to escape a different way, and he locks the door as he leaves, and he runs out as fast as he can. And you know the rest of the story, he goes out, and while he goes out, all the king's attendants are finding this a very awkward thing. And they come to open the door and see what's going on, and all they do is they smell that awful bathroom smell, and they think, well, obviously he's using the restroom, we'll give him a little more time. Which gives Ehud a little more time to go rally the troops of Israel to fight against these people. And they rout them very um, completely, comprehensively. 
at, at the end of this. When he'd gone, the servants came, saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked. They thought, surely he's relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. They waited until they were embarrassed. They still did not have the doors of the roof chamber. They took the key, they opened them, and there they, the, uh, their Lord dead on the floor, a victim of foul play. You guys are just missing all the brilliance of this. One of these days you're going to go, ha! That was brilliant, but I'm going to be dead and gone by then, right? Ehud escaped while they delayed, got all the people, says, follow after me. The Lord has given our enemies into our hands. Now go and take them. And they, they killed at that time 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. Moab was subdued, and the land had rest for 80 years. Good long time. What is any value in this story? I mean, it's a great story to go through and talk about. You could say Ehud sacrificed a fat cow in God's name with a blade. You could talk about different things, but I'm going to say three or four things and then it's yours. Number one, we too need to use the double-edged sword as often as we can for God's sake. Ours is not a physical sword, right? It's not something we physically assault anybody in a physical way. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not people. It's, it's philosophies and it's teachings and it's different things like that. And yet, what does God call, or what does a Hebrew writer call the Word of God in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12? It's a double-edged sword. It's able to penetrate in the mind of a person the thoughts and intents of the heart. And I, it's fascinating, isn't it? How can... Do you, can you discern when a thought that flashes across your mind is just a thought and when it's an actual intention that you plan to do something about? They're closely related, and sometimes you can't tell the difference, but the Word of God can. But here's the thing. We use the sword against false teaching. We also use it against our very selves, don't we? We cut out some stuff that doesn't belong in our lives, and we need to be willing to use it that way. We need to be willing to identify the cancer that sometimes dwells in us and the sin that resides in us, and we, we sometimes don't want to mess with it. We've got to take that double-edged sword, and as much as we use it against Satan and all his schemes, it is an offensive weapon, we also use it against our very own selves, like a surgery, trying to cut out those things that keep us from being better. So first of all, I'd say from the story, we need to use a double-edged sword. The second one is we need to use our hands. We need to roll up our sleeves and use our hands. I'll tell you why. Ehud, it says, is left-handed. The Israelites sent tribute to Eglon by Ehud's hand. He reaches with his left hand, verse 21. God has given Moab into Israel's hand, verse 28. And Moab is struck down by the hand of Israel. Deliverance comes through people using their hands to serve God. What's in your hand? What are you doing? Now, following immediately after this is Shamgar. There's one verse for Shamgar in all the scriptures, and it's that one. And you're like, what kind of lesson can you have from Shamgar? He wanted to do something. He was discontent. He was frustrated with the way things are, and he wanted to do something, but all he had was an ox goad. It's the only thing he had. There were no weapons in Israel. All he had was his agricultural tool that he used. So what did he do? He killed 600 Philistines with it. What is it you've got in your hand? When God says to Moses, what is that in your hand? You think it's just a staff. It's my tool. What are you doing? What are your hands finding to do? 
and the kingdom of God? What are you rolling up your sleeves to be involved in? The church will not grow if God's people's hands aren't busy doing things to serve him. Third, utilize the community of faith. After he killed the enemy king, he locks the door, buys himself some time, and he runs out there and he blows the horn. He gathers the community together and says, guys, the fight's all of ours. It's not just mine. I've started it. I've started this first process, but you guys need to be part of this. So he involves the community in this. And what do we get together for, according to Hebrews chapter 10? What is it that we're supposed to be doing when we get together? Spur one another on toward love and good works. Let's do something, people. I've got this neat idea. So some lady comes up and says, I want to do Ladies' Day. Get our ladies together and encourage us. Somebody's behind all that stuff. There's a committee of people working with their hands to make Ladies' Day possible. There's people doing this with young people. Right now, they're using their hands to teach our young people in the class in that middle hall. Involving the whole community and coming to the church and saying, what can you do? What can you contribute? And finally, one last thing. Figure out what your creative personality or talent is. You know, most people were looking at Ehud thinking, a left-handed guy, you're a little bit weird. But he used his weirdness to his advantage. Ehud the loner takes his left-handed self and he starts this war that he also leads to finish. He uses his best attributes and he serves God with them. I don't know. There's a lot of people with some strange talents and abilities that can do great things that I can't do. And when you have one of these unique traits or abilities or personalities or things that you can do, it becomes almost like a mission for you. What can you do? God works in mysterious ways because if he's going to use the people that he can use, he's going to have to mysteriously use us. Have you looked at the makeup of Valley View? Look at this group. How's he going to use us to reach a lost world, he's going to have to be mysterious and creative to get through our heads and use our skills and make us come together and do what we're supposed to do. So take a good look at your life. Figure out what you can do to be of use to God, to use your hands and, and your talents. What can you do to contribute to the community of faith? That's the lesson of Ehud. God works in mysterious ways, and God wants to work through you. And we'll be weak as a church until everybody is offering themselves that way. If there's anyone who needs to respond this evening, the invitation stands open, and we stand ready to receive you as God's people as we stand and as we sing.